Hello and welcome to another episode of Slightly Mental Podcast. Today with me is Madeline Lee, who is a multi-talented, transformational mindset coach and many other different things. Hello, how are you today? Good morning, Sam. I am amazing and unstoppable. (laughs) How are you? I wonder where that unstoppable comes from. I wonder, I wonder, an awesome man called Kerwin Ray. <laughs> whoop, whoop, whoop. K-Man in the house. Awesome. Thank you for being here with me. Um, let's kick things off with a with a very light question. I'm just joking, straight into it. So <laughs> what what was your experience with mental health? Um, my experience with mental health. Um, I am 27 currently and I suppose before a year and a half ago, I didn't really think much of mental health. I kind of touched on it because we kind of learn in society that um, we all have mental health in some form, I think. So I was aware of it because I was told, yeah, like because, you know, we walk around and we go, oh, we've all got mental health in some way or form. Um, But until I kind of had a crunching point in my life when I was diagnosed with genital herpes, um, I I didn't really understand the extent of it for myself. I had seen other people in my life go through mental health, um, but I hadn't plummeted, I suppose, or crashed and burned in my own form um, until about it would have been around October 2019 um, where an STI diagnosis kind of broke me due to stigma and judgment. Um, I didn't understand at all the diagnosis and I suppose it stemmed from there but then it opened like floodgates to all the other shit in my life that I'd never known of the set. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Yeah, usually that way that one thing triggers all of the underlying sort of emotions and and uh, wounds that you have been keeping to yourself for years. Um, So it all started with diagnosis of herpes. Do you remember exact moment when you found out that you that you were um, that you had herpes? Um, I they actually diagnosed me over the phone officially um, when I was at the doctor's clinic getting checkups and stuff they did throw it out there like oh it could be it might be and then in my head you know you you always think oh they must be wrong like I'm never gonna get an STI like Mm. you'll never you never think you're the person that's gonna get an STI you don't wake up one morning and go oh yeah um I'm gonna get herpes (laughs) so initially when they kind of threw those comments around and my doctor's appointments, I was just like, oh, no, It'll, it's just like irritation. It's just a UTI. No, I'll be fine. So that really, to me, wasn't a diagnosis at the time, but technically wasn't a form. Um, and then when I went away, I had been at home um, in physical and mental pain and confusion and all of these things. Um and then I got a phone call and they just diagnosed me. I was just like, oh, yeah, you've got um, genital herpes, um, type 2. Um, here's a website. Um, keep taking your medication we gave you. <laughs> and I kind of sat at home like, um, okay, um, all right. 
and kind of didn't didn't think it was a big deal about it at all but also at the same time was like this is a really big deal because I have no idea like I have a nursing background um and so a lot of people are like oh well you should have known you should know this I didn't <laughs> I didn't I didn't even um know that cold sores were herpes before I was diagnosed um which I don't know some people could blame me for not knowing but I know a lot of other things and we can't know everything we don't know what we don't know um so yeah they diagnosed me over the phone um and I kind of just said yep and I thought the doctors are meant to know everything and they're supposed to leave me you know like you look at them in a sense of a guide um, and an expert, I suppose. Um, and I do think there's a really good place for medical professionals and their knowledge is amazing and they have supported me in some ways, but I think there definitely needs to be more attention or change in diagnosis and things because I just got a phone call, got a label, got some medication and got sent away. And I, I, I honestly, it took me the first six months of my diagnosis researching and pretty much losing my shit every now and then to try and find out more information because I did not know what was going on and that I suppose is physically and mentally and with society stigma um and not knowing my body as well um or my spirit or my mind around any of it um so yeah I would say the first six months of my diagnosis were probably continuous breakdown of of just that lost feeling you know that people describe and sometimes you don't know until you've been through it like people saying oh I'm so lost I'm just not sure what I'm meant to be doing or where I'm meant to go um or anything you know just not being able to speak or not being able to you know we talk about oh I just can't leave the house um and I used to think I understood that but that was a drama queen in me I think mm-hmm. it was still a call for help I think that's something I've learned Sam over time that the person I was before yeah I would say things like oh, I can't leave the house but in some sense it was like a warning sign it was like the orange light kind of thing um because I think I physically could have gone up and left so yeah I was not crying wolf but I would have been been quite dramatic because I didn't know and I was lost, but the only way I knew how to scream for help was scream for help and I didn't know how to help myself. <laughs> Whereas now, yeah, I'll ask for help, <laughs> but I ask for help and then I work on my own devices to find a way through what I need to get through and take care of myself, I think. So in the beginning, when you when you were diagnosed, did you have problems with uh, acceptance, accepting what they told you? Yeah, yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> did I have issues with self-acceptance? Yeah, um, it's a hard one because I kind of had two, two minds, um, two mindsets in a sense because I there was a piece of me that knew that just because of a label or uh, an illness or a, whatever you want to call it, just a thing called herpes does not make me um, any less or any different than anyone else, but it comes back to that societal judgment um, assu- assumption and, to be honest, um, lack of education 
because generally everyone I meet and talk to and um, have a connection with and they allowed me to speak um, on my herpes experience and what I've learned through it, generally most people come back and they're like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Oh, um, I suppose it's like I've been doing a little bit of, um, I write down a few little research notes as I go um, to support people around herpes and mental health and our mindset around it and the amount of like, normal movies that we have in our day and age um, that mock STIs or herpes and things like this. It's funny because I have a good sense of humour and I can find some of them funny. Um, but once you go from being clean <laughs> to being diagnosed with an STI, suddenly you're watching a movie. Like there's some, I think like things like Pineapple Express, like there's so many, I've got a huge list of them, about 20 movies. Um, even Glee, the Glee series, they have little jokes about STIs or herpes. And before you have an STI or you're diagnosed or you've experienced one, you're kind of like, oh, yeah, shame on them, like laughing at the movie. And then all of a sudden the tables turn and then you're like, actually, that is not funny. That is not funny. <laughs> I have it's like, and you're like, holy shit, I was that bitch before. Like I was that horrible person before laughing at someone that was diagnosed but I suppose that comes with a lot of things in life like disability um or mental health or um even LGBTQ stuff like that um also it's like being a parent or whatever being homeless like there's so much stigma out in our world I think that kind of uh, can end up being different once you have something come into your life that teaches you a lesson or opens your mind to a different view but yeah self-acceptance um even now so I I am very confident in my worth now um I have done a huge truckload of work to get here um and along the way I kind of had done work and come out of it and known my worth um but then there is always that flack well in the near future anyway from societal stigma and judgment that is going to kind of hit you in the chest again and make you question, are you worthy? Because, you know, you'll, you'll post something or you'll share your story and your vulnerability to support others. And then you'll get someone um, with different beliefs, different upbringing experience, and then they'll just knock you back. Well, you you must be a slut if you have STI or you must have slept around. Those myths of sexual health and things like that Um those things don't often knock me anymore because I've worked so hard to find my truth within me um, now. But back when I was first diagnosed, I don't even think I was aware that I wasn't accepting myself because I was so eaten up by our society. If that makes, does that make any sense? Like I, I knew I was worthy, but because the world was telling me I wasn't, <laughs> I didn't like myself in a sense. And it was so hard because I'm a very, very open person. And generally, everyone, anyone that I come across knows everything that's going on for me because I just like to talk about it. It's how I get it out. It's how I express it. It's how I connect. Um, but... I didn't really like telling telling my family even. I think there's a lot of stigma already because prior to my herpes diagnosis, I 
I've been teaching twerk fitness dancing, which is something that is a bit taboo. And some people are like, oh, why is she doing that? She must be like this or that and draw conclusions and judgment. But I, I love it. It's my passion. I know my worth. I know my self-respect. Um, but I think that ties into it. Like, you know, oh, the twerk girl gets an STI straight away. And you're like, oh, of course she does because she throws her body around. Yeah. Um, Fits the narrative so, really well, doesn't it? Yeah, totally, totally. Um, and then in saying that, I don't know, I've been trying to think of a new te- um, terminology for it, but I was going to say when I was a teenager, I had a slut phase, but uh, there's such negative, um, <laughs> such negative, I don't know, thoughts with the words like slut phase. Everyone thinks it's really bad, but um I don't know. I feel like we all have to learn through exploration. We all learn through doing different things. And I think um, some people don't go through it. Some people find a partner and get married and live with them for the rest of their life. And that's okay. Um, but when I was a bit younger, I, I did explore and I done different things. So there's probably stigma around that as well. Um, so the self-acceptance thing, probably I had already beaten myself up in a sense because I had to tell people like my family my friends I didn't have to but for me I had to does that make sense like no one told me I had to but for me to be able to live and to live in a way that I could heal and express myself I needed to tell people and I think that's where my passion and purpose comes from now um because I have people in my life that like they, they just care for me and they want to protect me. I actually had um, a nursing friend. It must have been like a year ago and I told her what I was working on doing, publicly disclosing um, to support people with sexual health, mental health. Um, and she goes, oh, shit, like, don't, you, I don't think you should do that. Like, Madge, you've got to think about this. Like, social media, people will come, they will bully you, they will do this and that. And straight away, I I didn't want to ignore her because she had a very good point, but I had considered all those avenues and it is worth the rock bottom that I hit when I was diagnosed with my herpes in that six-month window afterwards. I didn't actually consider myself to ever be able to be that low because I, I don't know, I say this in a, I suppose this is an individual thing to me, but I have never considered myself a, suicidal person or to have suicidal ideation I have never um been in a situation where I really felt like I needed to self-harm in any physical way or anything like that I'm generally this bubbly person that I am now um and that is not a cover that is who I usually am and with this diagnosis there was um one point where I did have to call my dad and my dad actually a friend called him because I couldn't talk and I was in the bath I was in physical pain I was mentally I had been partying far too much drowning myself in alcohol and party drugs I I just literally I just couldn't hold myself together anymore but I didn't exactly know why again like lack of awareness I just knew that I was plummeting and that I suppose part of me was in that victim state um, at that time. And I just wanted someone to pick me up and just fix everything, but I didn't know how. And at that stage when my dad had come to stay with me for three days, I actually had a pair of scissors in my hand ready to chop my fanny off because I had been in so much pain. 
um, physically and mentally um, that I just, I didn't know what else to do. It wasn't because I wanted to harm myself because I didn't feel worthy. It was more of a physical pain thing. And I was frustrated to the end of my tether that I had been spent a lot of time calling services within New Zealand as well, trying to get some extra support, um, which I think is a way bigger issue that we that I could talk about for hours because I was probably I probably called like three or four different services to try and get support or get someone to talk to that had herpes or that had dealt with this stuff before. And it's not anyone's particular fault, but you'd ring up and they'd go, oh yeah, I'll just transfer you. Then the line would go off oh, yeah, I'll give your number to so-and-so and they'll call you in a week. Okay, cool. Oh, you, hear, <laughs> then, you hear, please hold your call. It's yeah. very important to us. <laughs> You're sitting there for two hours. Yeah, totally, which is so hard because it's such a fact that it's so hard to sieve through to get the help you need. But when you're in that state, when you're in that state of I can hardly talk, how how do you... Get, like you don't even know what you need but you're like mm. falling and it takes you like three days to even pick up that phone and be like hi I, I and even to say the words like yeah. when you're first diagnosed with herpes I'm not sure about other people but generally myself I couldn't even say it was like the word herpes was gonna fucking attack me like ah! like, <laughs> like I couldn't I couldn't actually say it like ah oh, hi uh oh uh uh, and don't even know how to say hi I, I have herpes and I need your help like that can be so embarrassing and so fucking scary even to start with to get on the phone and then someone's like not listening because they're just busy in their workplace doing their job the best they can and then next minute you're still there <laughs> in your bedroom physically and mentally in a place that you just don't know where to go from here um, what was our question? <laughs> I got lost. Um, yeah. If I'm not mistaken, herpes is not curable, but it's uh, uh, manageable. If I'm if I'm correct. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. That that would be a good conclusion. I would agree with that, Sam. Um, everyone has a different. There was a one. Oh, I can't remember the quote, but I seen one the other day from one of the amazing herpes advocates that I follow. Um, and she said something about she didn't use the word incurable, but she used and probably some, something similar to what you said. Sorry, because I can't remember the quote. <laughs> but yeah, definitely you. So once the herpes virus is within your system, so that's the same as cold sores. So if you have cold sores on your face, oral herpes, you have herpes, and that virus lives within your body system for the rest of your life. It does not mean you have herpes outbreaking all the time and you okay. can't see it, you know. Um, same as genital herpes. Um, you Once that virus enters your body, you have the herpes virus in your system for the rest of your life. Um, but it is manageable and it comes in waves of flare-ups or outbreaks. Um, very stress-related. Um, and then every individual person would have their own um, triggers or symptoms depending on what they're like as an individual um, really so some people it can lie dormant as well so it's a very very complex um, complex thing it can lie dormant for years so sometimes it can break up relationships or partnerships because 
someone has thought that the other person is being dishonest, but really they've both had it for years on end. Um, the testing can be very inaccurate depending on what country you're in. Um, so it can really cause a lot of strife, confrontation and challenges. It's not just that label. Um, and I believe that I contracted mine through a partner that I had had for a reasonable amount of time um, and we were only seeing each other, but I believe it lay dormant in him and he never seemed to have any symptoms or anything like that. So I'm not too sure if he did or didn't um, know at the time. There's a piece of me that always wonders if he did know, but he was too embarrassed to talk to me about it and there was no point in his mind because... For him, he had no symptoms. So why would he tell a young girl that he has or possibly has herpes? If he doesn't have any symptoms, it doesn't hurt him physically or mentally, like why would he embarrass himself? So that's my kind of conclusion. But I may be wrong and he maybe never knew. And that's why I wasn't ever given a chance to, um, I don't know, know about the risk or herpes itself. Um but at the same time, I think that's why it brings me to um, why I'm so passionate about sexual health because a lot of people will say, oh, but if you use a condom, you'll be fine. No, <laughs> there's a risk in every single, no matter what precautions you take in sexual health, you there is always a risk. People get pregnant even though they're on the pill or using a condom. People still get STIs no matter how safe they are. Um, there's things like abuse. Um, there's all sorts of things that can come up. So as humans, we need we need sexual intercourse to live and to carry humans on. But So we all end up having an interaction with that in some form or way. Um, so there is always a risk as well. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, definitely. There is no 100% protection in the, as, as you say, either from STIs or uh, pregnancy. So at this point of your life, does it does it actually affect you in your daily life? Um, it's funny because I always, I kind of in my head have a physical answer and then a mindset answer <laughs> around. Yeah, give them both. Come on, spit it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so physically, I suppose I always go to physically first because that's generally what humans think on top, you know, like a physical diagnosis of herpes. Um, but the mindset is definitely the bigger portion um, that probably affects us more. Um, but physically now, so it would have been, yeah, exactly a year ago, um, I was actually diagnosed with chlamydia for the fourth time. Um, and the partner I had contracted that off, I had disclosed my herpes, we talked about safe sex, um, we'd used a condom even, and I still contracted chlamydia. <laughs> so um, when that happened about a year ago, I just totally plummeted even more um, and just lost my shit. Then I decided to just give my body a break physically because I was just run down. I'd been drinking alcohol, taking party drugs, writing myself off, not sleeping, working lots, um, just pretty much hiding from life um, because I didn't know what to do um, and taking medications to just cover it all. Um, I had tried, I had been started on citalopram, I think, um, for anti-anxiety or anti-depression. They said it was anxiety, same medication for depression or anxiety. Um, I took that for two or three days and then 
um, I had a reaction to it. So they stopped that and then they put me on to sertraline. Um, so I stayed on that for about three to five months. I was, I kind of, I didn't listen to the doctors, even though I'm a nurse and I kind of stopped and started it at the end there because I started disbelief in it. I never personally believed in medications helping me with my mental health, but I was in a place that I told myself, you have to give everything a go before you say no, which I think is really, really important. Like I can't say no, it doesn't work if I've never tried it. Um, so I gave it a go. So in March last year, I stopped taking um, mental health medications. I stopped taking um, contraceptive and I stopped taking antiviral. Antiviral is what you take um, to suppress herpes symptoms, um, to decrease the risk for transmission and things like that. So antivirals, they, they definitely had a big part in saving my life in the first six months because I needed it because my symptoms were very, very severe, but that would have been in conjunction with my body not coping with the new virus and then me sabotaging my body mm-hmm. <laughs> as well. So if you have no sleep and you are writing yourself off with alcohol every night, um, partying, working bloody hard, stressed as fuck, you are going to get more herpes outbreaks. Um, but I could not understand that or see the light at that time. Um, so physically back then, I do feel like the antivirals played a very important part and anyone newly diagnosed, um, I would definitely say for them to take it in those initial times, because your initial outbreak is very, very severe, generally, not always, because some people don't get outbreaks, um, but generally the initial ones in the first, first little time span before like that you are diagnosed sorry um is very severe compared to the longer you have it over time um the symptoms kind of calm down a little bit um so I definitely did take antivirals back then and then March so I stopped taking antivirals contraceptive and antidepressants um and it was hell for the first couple of months um I had to power through I chose to and I done a lot of thinking and research on it um doctors told me to up my doses of antivirals every day but that was going to be to take for the rest of my life or slowly wean off later on and I just my face was out breaking I just I was completely I was just full of medications which weren't really doing anything for me they were dragging me down and I was just feeling more bogged down um so I chose to take the risk and go against um the people's advice around me to keep taking them it was a big risk but I had gone on to the sickness benefit after I was diagnosed with that chlamydia because I just, my anxiety was really bad. I actually ran a red light when I was sober because I wasn't focusing because I had so much anxiety because I was having panic attacks and things like that. So uh, my doctor talked with me and we put me on the sickness benefit and I left my passion and purpose of pediatric nursing, which was one of the hardest fucking things I've ever done. Because on some level, I was like, oh, I've just failed my entire life. (laughs) I was like, it just, you know, like you, I was like, I've worked my whole life with children. They are my passion. They are my love. And they're what I wake up for every day. And I can't do that anymore. I have an STI. I'm useless. I quit my love of my life (laughs) to go on the sickness benefit. Like, what the fuck am I doing? (laughs) um and I went back to my hometown moved back to my hometown um 
to just rest and get myself better. So that first few months when I came off medication physically were were worse, were worse, of course, because your body gets dependent on these medications and it does not do, um, it has no immunity. So they were really shit. They were shitter than anything. Um, but I tell you now, I have had probably such little outbreaks in the last like six months probably I'd say like four outbreaks but nowhere near as bad as before and I did fall pregnant and have a miscarriage at the end of last year so hormones will definitely change um what happens in your body with herpes and it triggers stress you know your body's trying to adapt and look after itself and heal so I would say those are contributors to these small amount of outbreaks I've had. Whereas that first six months, it was kind of continuous, um, really bad. Couldn't wear knickers, couldn't go out and walk in places. I'd have ulcers bursting and things. So physically I was in a really shit place. And now I generally like, I know my symptoms when they're coming up. I have natural supplements. Um, I, I have mindset st- strategies that I use to work around um my physical symptoms um because when I had started my mindset coaching with the coach that I um worked with as a client um I didn't really believe her at first but she was like oh your physical physical pain and conditions can can really be healed by your mind and I thought it was a joke I was like whatever I was like, if you can, if you can heal my herpes, come on then. <laughs> um, and now I use strategies sometimes, even simple as fuck ones. Like when I, I started my new job um, about a month ago, just nannying and I was driving to work and I could feel um, irritation and just discomfort of symptoms downstairs. And I just sat in my car all the way to work going, I am healthy. I am well. I'm healthy. I'm free of herpes symptoms. I am healthy. I'm well. And little things like that actually is hard because we almost feel like we're lying to ourselves because you're like, fuck no, fuck no. Like (laughs) I'm so sore right now. (laughs) Like, so you're in a sense, I suppose, lying to yourself because physically the fact is you are sore. Um, But yeah, little things like that now help me. So physically I... I have never actually felt as good as I feel now. And that's not just herpes wise, but that's also within my body as a whole. Um, herpes was a gift or a blessing in disguise. Is that what we say? Yeah. <laughs> um, because it changed my entire lifestyle that like I hardly, hardly drink alcohol anymore. I don't do any party drugs. I look after myself, nourish myself in so many different ways. And I think you can see it in me compared to who I was a year ago. Um, If you know me personally, um, before all this journey, you will be able to see the light shining in me compared to where I was before. Um, But I suppose that explains physically. Um, But mentally, what was our question again, Sam? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> mentally um uh i i, I got lost because it was such a such a i got lost in your story because it was so interesting <laughs> um maybe maybe i'll um i'll ask another question which would yeah. be was there any specific turnaround point for you when you were experiencing anxiety and and being on medications when you said this is it i need to change something 
Um, I think I would probably say when I got the diagnosis of that chlamydia and mm-hmm. I think it was February, March last year, um, I think because I completely didn't expect it. So the new sexual partner I had spent time with, um, I had disclosed my herpes. You know, like everyone says, like, you talk about sexual health prior, but how many people really do? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, it's really hard to do because our society doesn't do it often. Um but I felt like I had done everything right. I was like, first of all, I it was the first partner I had disclosed to. So I'd gone from like parting with the partner that I had most likely contracted herpes from. Um, so I was like, fuck, like the first time. Imagine even sitting down and being like, oh, actually, before we have sex, I have genital herpes. Like, that's a really hard thing to do. Like, for some people, yeah, they just act like, oh, I don't give a fuck if they decline me, fuck them. But that is a thing of denial in their self. But if you're really being truthful to them and you're trying to enjoy them, I I think it's a really, really challenging thing to do. And not many people can, or I know people that just haven't disclosed it because of embarrassment and things like that. Um, but I disclosed to this new partner he was fine with it mentally. So he was really supportive. He was like, oh, it's so good. Like, it doesn't matter. We'll work around it. And I had talked to him about risks and stuff. We were drunk at the time because I was still in my drunk phase of my life. <laughs> um, and I did say to him, I was like, oh, I want to talk more sober. Like, can we just wait? Like, blah, blah, blah. But he just didn't care and kept persisting, kept persisting. So it was on both of our parts because I kept on being like, oh, no, like, can you just take some more time to process? Because this has been really big for me and I don't want to cause anyone else this. So we chose to use a condom. And I think we had sex maybe three times um, using a condom. It did break for like a few seconds at one time. So maybe that's when it transferred over. But when I, after about three weeks after I had met him and had sexual contact with him, um, I kept on having herpes outbreaks, like really bad ones. And I was like, where's this come from? Like it's something's aggravating, something wasn't right. And I can't speak for men's bodies, but having a female body, most females would relate that generally if something's wrong down there, seriously wrong, you you generally have some idea. You might not know what's wrong or you might be in denial or not sure how to fix it, but you generally know. And I think that's a bonus of herpes. Like if now if something's not right, I know like that because it aggravates my herpes. So I get symptoms. I'm like, okay, why has this happened? Where has this come from? So it helps me to slow down. Um, but I went back to the doctors like three weeks later because I was like oh I just either need to try some more herpes medication or like I need to do something because I can't I'm becoming more sick at work again and I'd use up all my sick days I couldn't go anymore and then it was making me emotional and then the more emotional I was the more I'd outbreak and just like backwards and forwards and I went and got some swabs done thinking nothing of it I was just like oh yeah we can just do some swabs anyway like never thinking like I was worried about giving him herpes I was like so worried and caring about him not once did I think in my mind, what about my body again? What about my body and my space and my self-care? And I think that's another thing with doctors' education and things like that. Like, 
they're just like, oh, you have to tell partners, you have to use a condom to protect them, protect them. I never thought, like, never in my life, I was like, I have boobies. Like, there's no way I can get another STI. <laughs> Like, you know, thing. And then I um was at work. I was at Pranka at my Pranka office. And then I got like three missed calls from the doctor. And I was like, that's kind of weird. Like, whatever. And then I got three texts too. I have no idea why I got three. But I got a text. Oh, you have chlamydia. Please come in and get treatment. And I went, is this fucking, is this that punch movie? I was like, this is a fucking joke. <laughs> somebody's pranking me what the fuck yeah i was like so when are they gonna take our jokes like when when is this cut i was like no fucking way i was like i i bloody (laughs) told this guy i have herpes opened my life to it made myself so vulnerable tried to keep him safe we use a condom we talked about it we i done all the things i'm supposed to do and he said he was clean and that he had had a test, obviously hadn't, or they missed it, one or the other. Um, and then I just kept reading that text over and over and I had to go home from work. So I just left work straight away because I just broke down into a big panic. And I suppose that was a moment that I just, I just didn't know. I was just like, I, I was like, I just don't know what to do anymore. I was like, even when I'm doing the right thing or right thing, <laughs> I'm I'm still ending up in a hole. Something has to change. Like, and so I went to the doctors then and the doctor was asking me questions and I couldn't answer. And I think that's when I was just like, I just looked at her. I didn't even think about it prior. It was one of those things that just comes out of your mouth. But I was sitting in the doctor's room. I actually had a new flatmate that she actually took me there, like went with me, thankfully. Otherwise, I don't know if I would have got there. I don't know what have what had happened, but I just I just couldn't think anymore. I just couldn't, it was in disbelief I was like how how could this happen and I was devastated and I got into the doctors and then I just looked at her and I was like uh do you th- do you think you can look at put- putting me on a sickness benefit and she just said to me she was like I'm already doing it <laughs> and, then, and I was like oh okay and yeah just went home and cried to Washington so that was probably like a crunch that I didn't know at that time particularly that I suppose because there was so much going on. So there were so many different multiple layers and things going on in my mind, as you can tell, because I talk so much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I think that was probably a crunching point that I was just like, fuck this, because I knew that if I didn't go on that sickness benefit, I could have kept just trying to work, but also my work was, my passion for my work and children and mothers was not what I value. Um, I was... I would go and teach mum how to breastfeed or whatever, but I didn't, my heart wasn't there. My heart wasn't there because my heart was broken, if that makes sense. And my self-worth was was in the rubbish dump. Like it, I didn't know where to go from there. And I didn't even understand what I was doing by saying, put me on the sickness benefit. I think I was still just in this place. Well, I don't know. I don't know. But um, I would say that's probably my turning point um especially because going from being like you probably won't know Sam because Starship is a New Zealand hospital but Starship Children's Hospital is the biggest children's hospital in New Zealand um it's really well known it's an amazing place and I went from like having this beautiful nursing degree where I help children and their families um multi-talented person and I nanny and I teach twerk fitness and I do um, I'm like a get-go woman and I'm 
I'm getting all these things and I'm, I'm doing all these amazing, you know, stuff in my life. And then all of a sudden I've lost my shit. I'm moving home to my hometown where I don't want to be, where there's nothing for me career-wise. I have an STI, a broken fanny and a broken mind. I am leaving all my friends behind. And when I lived in the city, moving back, I it's a hard one to go, but I had grown away from my family quite a bit because in some forms I had not forgotten them, but I had been too caught up in my party life that I didn't really know them anymore. But then I needed them. So I plummeted back to my hometown, lost my career, had no partner, no partner, no career, <laughs> sickness benefit, somewhat grown away from my family and back in my hometown, like, what a failure am I? <laughs> That's what I was thinking it's at like, the time. It's like a beginning of a really interesting movie. Yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. Yes, yeah. that's how the hero journey starts, isn't it? From from you actually getting yourself through a really tough time um, in your life. You also have a podcast which is called "Ride Your Stigma," if I'm not mistaken. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, um, I would love to, Sam. I'm glad you pulled that one up. Um, so, "Ride Your Stigma" um, is a community and my business um, that I have started. It is in early days, um, but it is going to blow up and be fucking phenomenal. <laughs> um, Ride Your Stigma stands for um, ride. So life is like a ride. Um, waves go up and down. Um, yours, meaning everyone's story is individual and unique because yeah. it is. <laughs> and stigma um, obviously ties in with my journey a lot around stigma, around sexual health and herpes. But I truly deeply believe that every individual in our world has some form of stigma, assumption or judgment um, that is thrown at them in their life and their journey, um, whether it be mental health, sexual health, it could be abuse, it could be um, body image, that you're too skinny, you're too fat, eating disorders, um, all sorts of stuff, suicide, um, all sorts of things. Um, so I kind of have... that. The main community is around mindset coaching and transformation. Um, so mindset coaching, and it doesn't have to be that you have an STI or mental health. Um, I work with people of all si kinds and sizes and types of journeys, um, but it just happens that my story and my niche is sexual mental health. Um, and then I am doing little things like expressive dance therapy on the side through my twerking, but in a way that we've got journaling and stuff like that as well. Um, and eventually I am aiming to talk um, my story around sexual health and mental health in schools, universities and workplaces. That one is a long-term goal, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> it's already done in some time in the future. Um so that's where it brings me to my Righteous Stigma podcast. I originally started it to do a podcast based around herpes education, which I will, but I'm thinking more season two will be all based on more sexual health, body health kind of topics. Um, but what the season one of my Righteous Stigma podcast is, is 
episode one is me telling my authentic raw story of my initial diagnosis of herpes um just because it came out how it did and I've looked at editing it a lot but there's no point because it's never going to come out as heartfelt and passionate as it did when I originally done it um so that episode is a little bit different than the rest and then the other episodes and kinds of things we are talking about on there um is anyone's journey um in life with their challenges of stigma how they've grown um their I'm trying not to use the word mistakes anymore I don't believe in it their learnings in life um learnings growth um and their intelligence as well um around any topics in life so it could be suicide it could be solo parenting um it could even be just being a teenager talking about being a teenager and the pressure of growing up um nothing is too simple or severe to talk about um so really authentically talking about all sorts of all sorts of challenges in life that people don't want to talk about um I even want to get someone on there if I can around either having a friend or a family member who has either attempted or succeeded with suicide um things like cancer or illness um which will be quite challenging to find the right person that is open and confident and done a lot of healing themselves but the reason being for doing this podcast is I wished through my journey that I had been able to listen and connect with someone else that had been through something similar to me didn't have to be exactly the same and I feel like in our in our future there is always going to be challenges around say like cancer or illness um there will be mental health in our future so if we can speak about these things that none of us want to speak about um it helps us to feel less alone and we can learn things that we might not before if we weren't vulnerable as well yeah I suppose that kind of explains it yeah so what advice would you give to somebody who is going through a tough times in their life and maybe dealing with some stigma? Okay. Um, this one I could talk about for hours, Sam. Um, I, I think I would go with the most cliche one that we hear that don't give a fuck about what anyone else thinks because your own opinion is the only thing you need. Um, but I think that one is a lot easier said than done. Um, I personally still slip back into my, back into my shower sometimes, um, when people throw judgment or opinion, but have done a lot of work around realizing that generally when someone has a judgment or opinion about you, it is due to their lack of education or they are in denial or not open-minded. Um, <clears throat> it truly, I think, sticks with me that as long as you are happy and you're coming from a place of passion and purpose, no one can actually touch you if you know your self-worth. Digging deep into your truth and what you know, regardless of what others what others say or do is vitally, vitally important. Um, and I suppose 
I suppose not giving a fuck about what anyone says. Yeah, just just not giving a fuck about what anyone says because you know strong inside yourself that you are so worthy. Like I get people now that often might come and be like, oh, are you just telling everyone you have an STI to get attention and things like that? And that is definitely not the case, but I am the only one that knows that. No one else is in my mind. No one else is in my body. Only I know. So I need to stick to my truth and push through that I know where I'm coming from, passion and purpose, um, that it truly doesn't matter what anyone else thinks or says um, is probably the biggest biggest thing that I hold to um, because judgment is a big killer in itself. Um, but then at the same time, a lot of people, I'll get judgment around what I talk about because people just have a different upbringing and they have lack of understanding. So I do urge people to educate first and educate. I don't mean you need a qualification. Educate, I mean, so if you know that, say, you could even be stigmatized because you have like diabetes, for example. Someone might think, oh, since you have diabetes, you do this. Um, if people give you judgment, educate them. Say, hey, I have diabetes, but it doesn't mean this. For me, it means this. Um, and educate them and give them a chance. And then if they still judge you, walk away. Walk away. You don't need their energy. You only need yourself. I like that. There is an old African proverb that says, if there's no enemy within, the enemy outside can do us no harm. So that's a good one. Um relating to, as you say, don't give a fuck about what people think of you. Um, if somebody wanted to know more about you, what you do and potentially work with you, where is the best um, place to find you? So at the moment, Sam, um, on Facebook, I have um, a Facebook page that is just building and growing. It's called Ride Your Stigma. So I'm going to put a link in the description to make it easier. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to say, have I got to try and figure out this space? <laughs> yeah, so write your stigma on Facebook. Um, give us a private message on there. Um, and then on Instagram, Madeline Lee Thompson. Um, they are probably my two biggest forms. And at the moment, I am designing my website, but that won't be out for a little while. Yeah. What about your dance classes? You're twerking and, and other dance ah, classes? Ah, yes. Um, my twerking dance classes, I have an Instagram that I mainly use, um, and that's called Express Yourness. Nice. That's only for people mm -hmm. who live in New Zealand, unless you, you can swim back and forth. I can, I, I can do Zoom classes too. Okay. They're not as cool. Yeah, they're not as fun, but I have done a couple of Zoom classes with a couple of ladies in Canada and Australia and things like that. Um, definitely not as cool because you don't have the big build-up of energy and flow and connection, but um, definitely in these times of COVID as well, they are awesome to keep you moving and keep you motivated. Nice. Do you ever get guys coming to learn and twerk? I, I know it's not... It's not um predominantly male sort of activity but i had this question in my head and i had to ask do you ever get guys so i personally have only ever had one male um learn in my class but there is other twerk instructors in new zealand that i have seen that i used to train with and they they have a couple of males in their classes okay. which is 
awesome and they have really cool like it, it looks so much fun um overseas I think there is a bit of um male engagement slowly but again there it, it's a hard one because I've had males ask me before to come to my classes and it's not a sexist thing but I almost need to have like a female class and then a mixed class because um a lot of our classes are about building women's self-confidence and things like this and not that it's a stigmatizing you know sex, sexist thing but at the same time it's like that woman's safe space but then at the same time what if a man wants to grow his confidence and things like that so I think having those options would be really cool but yeah slowly slowly very minimal males but <laughs> slowly stepping out into it okay um I ask because um, I know I spoke to someone, I think last year, about uh, pole dancing. And it's, mm. again, it's predominantly something that uh, ladies do. But um, I spoke to the trainer and she said, yeah, you'll be surprised. I have guys who come to the classes. I'm like, I can't, I can't imagine myself. I'm not, I'm not saying that it's wrong. It's anybody's choice. But I can't, can't imagine myself, you know, 13 stone, 85 kilos, uh, <laughs> swinging around fucking dancing pole that wouldn't be a sexy image I don't think yeah I'm actually Sam I'm actually teaching um my twerk classes at the moment at an awesome little pole studio um where I'm living at the moment and there is a couple of males there but yeah I do feel like it's an individual choice and it's not for everyone yeah. um but it is possible because anything's possible but I don't yeah I'm picturing you now flying around a pole don't please don't <laughs> please don't <laughs> It's not going to be a good image. You won't be able to sleep at night. Like, no! <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for your time and, and a great conversation. I uh, hope everything goes well with your uh, dance classes and your coaching. And, you know, we're going to keep in touch and hopefully have a little catch up in a few months and see how it's all going. Yeah, totally. Thank you so much, Sam. I really enjoy speaking with you and connecting with you um i'm so lucky to have met you actually it's um it's been quite a cool little journey so thank you so much for having me on here and i can't wait to see how the rest of your podcast goes and what else you have to share with us yeah yeah the journey has just begun so hopefully it will keep progressing there's a lot of interesting people i want to interview but for now thank you so much for your time i have enjoyed talking to you and all the best Cool. Thank you so much, Sam.